thanks for tuning in to the Successful Mind Podcast. Today, we are sharing stories of our childhood that lead to lack. All the different ways that we were inundated with not enough thoughts and not enough feelings. Tune in, see if you can relate. Successful people learn how to make their minds work for them. We are Life Is Now, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. So this past week, we've been getting several people emailing us with questions around a lack mindset. They know that they need to be making decisions um, and money's involved in those decisions. But they're asking us to help them. Like they're asking questions like, how do you deal with a lack mindset? How do you change a lack mindset? You know, what do you do with a lack mindset? <laughs> um, and I think anyone, I mean, I don't know. I was raised with a lack mindset. Pretty sure you were raised with a semi-lack mindset in some circumstances. But in most, actually. Yeah. I think, you know, especially if you were raised lower middle or middle class, you yeah. you've got but we've seen people who were raised in wealthy families that had a real lack mindset oh, yeah, where absolutely. money was only allowed to be spent in one area, yes. but but not in another. And I it was interesting because um I traveled this past weekend and we were having dinner with a good friend, uh, Mike Gianta. Hey Mike. Um, and we opened this conversation because he was talking about his mom who's, who's ailing. And so he's been, he's been kind of staying with her to help her out. And it's becoming really like some of the things she says, he's, he's like, we went down a big rabbit hole of messages that we heard as children that contributed to our lack mindset. And it was funny because as we started having this conversation, like light bulbs began to click for him, for me, for Brandon, as we were remembering some of the messages that we got as children that then plagued us as we were building our business, right? I mean, you build a business, you have to have an entirely different mindset around money than when you're an employee. And I was raised by employees, right? Like I, I did not come from an entrepreneurial family. No one in my family was entrepreneurial. Um, unless you count my dad selling like homemade fishing jigs or popcorn at the General Motors yeah. factory to make, make some side money. But I, I was raised in a very working class, you know, fixed income type situation where the idea was the more money you save, the better person you are, the smarter person you are, the more responsible person you are. And that, that completely changes when you enter into business. Yeah, it does. It does. Although, you know, it, I'm listening to hear. I'm sitting here listening, listening to you talk, <laughs> and the, it's there are even businesses that build their entire business around frugality, um, but they have problems that they wouldn't have if they didn't do that. Right? If they actually understood abundance versus lack, they wouldn't have the problems within their businesses that they actually do. Uh, but you're right. I mean, it's, um, it's a very interesting thing because it comes from, it comes from the idea that we're supposed to struggle, that it's supposed to be difficult. And I was, I was watching some historical videos over the weekend about when people were actually struggling, like in the Dust Bowl days. Yeah, right. like Great Depression. Yeah, days, like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, when they really were eating sand sandwiches, you know, that that type of a thing. And if you talk to some people today, you'd have them, you, you, they would make you think that they were living back then as far as how, they're, how they were living their life, including the way that when I grew up. And it becomes, if you're really paying attention, it becomes... Uh, you become very aware that these stories get passed down from one generation to another as a type of a value system, right? Like you're a good, this is how a good person behaves. This is yes. what good people do. And there is, there's also the, the flip side of it, which we've talked about many times, 
there's this, uh, there's like this mentality. Well, there's two things. You've got money and you've got success or entrepreneurialism and like the necessary evil, like money's a necessary evil in life, right? You need it. It does good things, but too much of it corrupts you and it's bad. And, you know, uh, and then the same thing, the same thing with business, like all these businesses that are just evil, like the evil empire type idea. And yet if you, like you mentioned earlier, if you drive across town to save three cents on a gallon of gas, that's what makes you a good person. You know, you spend a half an hour driving somewhere to save, you know, two bucks. That that's the good thing to be doing, right? Yeah. Well, not only that, but it was for me, it was the opposite. Like stupid people wasted their money on those things. Oh, yeah. Like you are stupid. And that to me, being stupid would be like would be horrible. Yeah. If someone thought if my parents thought I was stupid, because my value wasn't being the you Well, they're ashamed for you, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Like you know, oh, that's stupid to spend that on that. I mean, I don't, I can't even tell you how many times I heard that growing up. It would be stupid to spend that money on yep. that, right? So it's not only like not spending would make you, not spending on certain things would make you a good person. Spending on the wrong things would make you a stupid person. Yeah. So yeah. you had it from, it's like you were constantly playing this game of, of when am I a good person? I just don't want to be a stupid person. Where does what I want fall in there? Right. It what doesn't. I want doesn't <laughs> fall anywhere in there, no. right? No, it really doesn't. And yeah, as you're as you're saying that, I'm thinking back. That word was used in my childhood. Uh, you were stupid. It, you know, why would anybody spend that kind of money on that? Why would anybody buy something like that? Um, I've even seen. I had an experience with somebody in my life when I was when I was uh, a young adult. I was an adult where. This person who had the, now I kudos to this per, to this person. They built a career working for <clears throat> like um, one of the utilities, let's say, right? Okay, one of the utilities spent yeah. their 20, 30 years at utilities and retired with a couple million in the bank. Like, great, that's I think that's absolutely fantastic. But we'll cut out coupons to go eat at Denny's. Yes, right, that type of thing. And if anybody else was doing better than this person, completely tear them to shreds. Just like, like they would compare themselves. Like, I don't have that. I don't have that. Who does something like that? That's great. That's the craziest thing. And all it is is somebody that's doing a little bit better, spending money on things that are not part of this person's value system. Just rip them to shred. Absolutely rip them to shreds. The other thing that I experienced, I don't know if you experienced this, but. Anybody that had more, there was this indication that they were doing something wrong, like they were a little crooked. We had this big in our family, like something always fell off a truck someplace, right? That's how somebody had something nice. If they had something nice, it fell off a truck. Or they did something that wasn't completely above board in order to be able to get that. I had a, I had a, um, an uncle who had all this beautiful stuff, all this beautiful furniture in their front room uh, from Italy. And it was all covered in plastic. This is in the 70s, oh, yes. right? I remember the so, furniture right, covered, in covered in plastic. And yes. every time we would go <laughs> over there, my grandmother would give us the whole rundown about how we were not allowed to go in that front room and sit on any of the furniture that was covered in plastic. Don't touch anything. Like, don't touch anything in their house. Everything's really expensive. And then they would have this conversation with them, with like my grandmother, my grandfather, my mom, or whatever, who'd be in the car. And it would be talking about how they got all of this stuff illegally. <laughs> I'm sitting there, I mean, listening to this, right? Yeah. And I don't know whether that was true or not, but there, but like you grew up with stupid, I think more than, more than that, I grew up with the idea that, a lot of these things were not above board and that you had to be, that's like, if you wanted more, that's where you had to go. And it's, of course, it's not okay to go there. There was no legitimacy ever in any of these conversations about how can you actually do this in a legitimate way in your life? It just was not entered. You just didn't do it. You weren't going there. It wasn't going to happen. I, you know, it's interesting that you say that because looking back, 
there was no representation of wealth in my life. Uh, yeah, my like neither. there was no, I didn't have an uncle with a lot of money. I didn't have like both sides of my family, you know, factory workers, farmers, there, there was no, there were, there was no comparison in my life. Um, like I think about that, you honestly were the first person that I met that, that was, was wealthy yeah. and that, and that was like, okay with being Wealthy. I mean, I had I had clients as a nutrition consultant that were wealthy, but they 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 were they hid that, right? Like it was like nobody um, knew. Nobody knew, yeah. right? Like n no one knew that. Right. It, I mean, yeah, the stigma was. I'm sure the stigma was if you were wealthy, then you got it by ill ill means. Yeah, yeah, or something sure. like that. But yeah, I mean, I didn't even have that. I'm sure, I'm sure if I did, you know, my family would have made them wrong in some way, shape or form. Um, but I didn't even, that's crazy. I didn't even have that. I just. Well, it wasn't even, it, I mean, it wasn't like they were wealthy. They had a regular bungalow in Chicago like everybody else did. Their house was no different than <laughs> anybody else. They just had nice furniture. It's just that they had a room that had some nice stuff in it and, be, and it was covered with plastic. So you couldn't touch anything in that room. You know, I mean, she had some, you know, little knickknacks and stuff. She just, she made it, she, it was very feminine. It was mm -hmm. very pretty. It was very old school Italian. Um, and, but they made it sound like you were walking into the fucking Taj Mahal. That's the way they made it sound. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, Mike was telling a story in our dinner conversation about, you know, they never, they never went out to breakfast. There was this breakfast restaurant in the middle of their town where they all grew up and none of them knew what the name of the breakfast restaurant was because they never got to go for breakfast because we got eggs, we got cereal. Why spend money on, on breakfast? Yeah. Right. <clears throat> and I was thinking about, you know, when, um, when I was a kid, it was like any, any time that I ever got a compliment on something, like if I had a new shirt or I'd, gotten something new. I learned from my family. This goes back to my my grandmother on my dad's side and my actually both of my grandmothers, right? It was like I could never just say thank you. I really like it too. Yeah. Right? It was, oh thank you. I got it for 50% off at Kohl's. Right? So there was like value in me saying, yes, I got this new shirt and I didn't pay full price. So I'm a smart person. Yeah. I'm not stupid. Isn't that weird? I Here's the crazy thing. I catch myself doing that when I go back home. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I catch myself doing it when I go back home. And Brandon will say to me, you just did it. I'm like, God damn it. I know I did. It's such a, like, a. It, it's so programmed. It's such a paradigm. Um, I don't say that. To, and if someone just compliments my clothes, I'm like, thanks. You know? You know, I appreciate that. Yeah, it was, it was fun shopping for it or whatever. But with my family, I always felt like I had to, like, I had to give a disclaimer. Right. And we've talked to clients. I mean, we've got a we've got a, a multi-million dollar client who's an attorney that I had a conversation with many months ago. She was going back to visit her family. And we had a coaching conversation because she was feeling really not great. She loves her family dearly, but she was feeling like she just didn't feel like she could be herself around them. And one of the ways that she wasn't herself is she loves beautiful designer clothing right? Like she loves designer things. She's got beautiful designer shoes. She's got beautiful designer accessories. Yeah, yeah. And I asked her, are you planning to wear any of that around your family? And she said, absolutely not. I'll wear my most boring plain clothes because I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. Right? So it's like, and really what it is, is she didn't want to feel uncomfortable. Right. Because then if she, if they're uncomfortable, she's uncomfortable, then that connection and that belonging is is broken. She's being yeah. judged. Yeah. Right. You can't even have a visit. You can't even have a visit. I mean, I learned that early on and it's still the same way today with certain members of my family. If I, if I have, if I'm wearing anything, if I show up in the Bentley or the Aston Martin or like, it's all about how they can't afford anything. 
in life. I mean, they can't get out of the conversation. It gets so crazy within that conversation. If I mention that I bought something or I went on a trip or I did something, I got to listen to a half an hour of how they can't afford anything in their life and they're stuck and their taxes and they're this and they're that. And it's like, so I just, I just decided a long time ago that I was not going to, I have friends like you and Brandon, that I could share those things with, that we can appreciate each other's totally. stuff, right? And what we do and, yes. you know, all the, those kinds of things. Yeah. My family is not a, a I can't share that there. It, it just, it, it, um, it triggers something in them. And it's not just my family. I don't want to like come down just like on my family, but I'm talking about in-laws that I used to have, friends that I used to have, anybody that came from, my life before I became wealthy, you cannot have those conversations because it, it, it there's, a, there's another interesting thing. There seems to be a value conflict. You know, it's interesting that you said that you were, you were stupid if you didn't. Oh my right? gosh, so stupid. So they'll say something like, why would you spend all the money? Why would you spend that much money on something like that? Right? Because like, I wanted to. Yeah, because I wanted to. And wanted to, when you say that, it's like you could see something twist in their head. They're, that doesn't resonate. I think they literally fight the idea that that's the craziest thing that I ever heard versus it's actually okay to want something in your life. And I And you're right. When we start working with clients, when we start consulting clients, this is one of the major issues that they have to get past in order to be able to operate from a place of what they want. Yeah, because if you hold on to money, your business dies. Right, right. If you run your business based on survival, your business dies. Yes, yes. And there's a lot of business owners out there that are running their business based on survival. There are millions. Terrified, millions, millions. right? Yeah. Or there are business owners that have worked really, really hard to build their business to multi-millions, but they won't give themselves permission to buy a house that they really love. Because what if? And then everyone either, what if everyone sees this house and thinks that I'm too big for my britches, right. right? Or what if I buy this house and something happens and I can't afford it? Their brain goes to worst case scenario to protect from feeling that humiliation, stupidity, yeah, lack of belonging. But actually it's, it's the desire for the house that's going to pull their business forward. How about the people that won't even pay themselves? Well, yeah, there's, yes. Right? Yeah, that's a that's a common problem as well. I don't have, ever, it's funny, they pay all their bills in their business, all their employees get paid, but they don't, there's no money left over for them. There's like magically no money left over for them. And they believe in that reality yes. that they've created for them. And it's completely not true. Yeah. Yeah, it's completely not true. I It, it was funny because this conversation that we were having sparked, with yeah, with Mike, sparked all of these memories, sparked some memories for Brandon too, right? Like he has a story. Oh, I remember when he first told me this and this is all tied to worth, right? Like yeah, yeah. what we're not talking about right now is that these messages that you received as a child all translate into your own worth and yeah. value. Like I'm not worth it or I'm not good enough or, you know, I'm not worthy enough, right? Because money Money is the value. Yeah. So Brandon tells me the story and I just like, I just wanted to give like little boy Brandon a hug because like it was, it's such a, go, babe, you got to tell this story. What's the story, T? I, I think I may have spoken. I, I think I told David this a while ago. I don't know if I've ever done it on the podcast or not. I kind of tried to do a quick search, but basically it was this. So when you talked about there was no version of wealth in your family, mm -hmm. there was in mine, my uncle Richard, he owned his own construction business down in California. He lived in, you know, kind of like that San Francisco area. You got to have money to be able to live out there. And he would come up. And the way I knew he was wealthy is because when he would take me to the Dairy Queen, he would pay with a $20 bill. He would pay in cash. I honestly don't ever remember seeing a $20 bill outside of the bank. My mom used to count a lot of them, but she never had them in her pocket. So he would always take me and my brother down to the local sporting goods store. Wait, 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 wait. How old were you at this point? Um, I was probably about 12 or 13. Okay. All right. All yeah. Right. So yeah, I, that, that's probably important to mention. Cause I was, I was, uh, old enough to know that this was probably going to be the best day of my life because he took me down to the sporting goods store and he said, get whatever you want. And sporting wow. goods stores are great. So you're thinking, oh my God, should I get a mountain bike? Oh my God, should I get, you know, a, a new, you know, like a baseball mitt, you know, something that I would never get, uh, my parents to buy for me. And 
at the time I started to really get into skateboarding. So I decided that I wanted to skateboard. And there were two different versions. There was like a cheap version. You could kind of tell it was kind of crappy. And then there was this really nice version. It was probably only like 70 or 80 bucks. But to me, that was like my mom's salary for the entire you know week, right? So I went with the big one got it back to the, to the house, was going to go take it for my first ride. My mom happened to be there uh, having her lunch from work and she saw me walk in. I told her how excited I was. I showed it to her and she immediately told me I was not going out on that skateboard and we were going to be taking it back. And in that moment, I completely heard that you're not worth this one. You can go back and get the cheap one, get the old $20 banana board (laughs) crap. Uh, But this one you have here, you're going to take it back. So I said, you know what? that's fine. I don't want anything then. So I basically at that moment said, I'm done with this situation. I'm going to throw my sucker in the dirt and I'm not going to deal with this anymore. So yeah, that was my, uh, and it didn't really dawn on me until we were having this conversation many years ago that that was where I was holding on to. I'm not worth it. I'm not good enough. And as you guys were talking today, there were more conversations that went on in my head about other situations that came up because I'm sure that a lot of people that are out there listening right now could drill down and find a couple of stories like that, that bleeds into your adult life. And you say to yourself, wow, I actually make decisions based on that moment that happened when I was nine or 12 or 13, like it was for me. So it's really quite crazy and kind of sad when you think about it. I had situations like that. My mother used to do that too, T. Oh, there were several times, as you're telling this story, I'm thinking to myself, there's several times that that actually happened. I had it actually happen with a girlfriend. My first girlfriend got me a Christmas present that was like a faux leather coat. This is like in 1980, right? <laughs> but it looked really cool. Those yeah. black, looked like a black oh, leather, leather jacket. jackets in the 80s were big. The shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were. And I brought man. that thing home, and my mother was like, You take it back. You can't accept that gift. I'm like, What? What are you talking about? I can't accept that's too expensive. You can't accept a gift like that. And I and I know that there were I can't remember the specifics on it, but there were several other times where she did this where uh you can't if if a gift is I don't know what the internal value, like I don't know where that line was inside of her, but you can't accept a gift because it's too much money. Do no explanation around it. it the explanation was it's too it's too expensive. You can't accept that as a gift. So I, I don't know to this day what was behind that for her because I never found out. Um, but she did it with me, too. She did it with me. Well, you know about the necklace, Oh, yeah, right? she wouldn't accept gifts from you if they right. were over a certain amount. Right. You know, yeah. she had that. She had a, 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 a diamond ruby ring, right, and, mm-hmm. and earrings, and I got her the matching necklace for it. And she, like, busted into tears, had to cover it up, and, and she just wouldn't wear it. She wouldn't wear it. Like it's just too much. It's just it's just too much. Like there, I don't know if it's. Do you, T? Do you think that there was shame in that? Did you? Oh, did you hundred percent? Absolutely, hundred percent. Like my mom would get help from my her parents, my grandparents, to be able to make it from week to week on a grocery budget. She would. It would hurt her very much to have to ask for that money, but things were tight. Um, and so she was very ashamed of anybody, especially like her, my aunt Judy. Um, who was Richard's wife, that was my mom's sister. And they were really, really close. But to accept money from him, there was a piece that said, oh, what will Judy think of me? That's what I'm thinking in my head. My mom was thinking, wow. what will Judy think it's of me shame, yeah. by taking this? Very shame, 100%. very guilt-ridden, and that really hurt. I do want to let Steph tell the story about how different it is in kids. Because I was thinking when you were talking earlier about Emma's story about her purchasing Foxy back in the day. Oh my God. That, the, the hell she took for this. And, and if you wouldn't mind sharing that story, because I think it's beneficial because it shows the difference between adults who grow up in the world that we grew up in and then children who grew up in this sort of Nagel universe that our kids have been raised in this abundant mindset versus yeah. lack. Yeah, so when Emma was probably five or six, six or seven, maybe. Yeah, she was little. Six or seven. She was always a stuffed animal. Stuffed animals were like her, she still is. She still has plushies everywhere. (laughs) Like we've got garbage bags full of plushies of Emma's. She just loved stuffed animals. And we took them to, I think Williamsburg, Virginia or something for Christmas. And she had a bunch of Christmas money, right? So she had like money burning a hole in her pocket from she get she get money from her grandparents and aunts and uncles and yeah. stuff. So she was on the prowl for how she was going to spend 
this money. And we walked into a shop and she laid eyes on this fox. And she has loved, she's always loved, she's had something with foxes. But this sucker looked like a real fox. Like I remember she bought it. I remember going through the airport one time and she had it in her backpack yeah. and the guy opened her backpack and literally like yelped and jumped back. <laughs> I thought it was a real fox. thought it was a real fox. That's fun. But it was, it was a, it was a, um, some brand. I can't remember what the name of the brand was. And I think it was $75. So $75 for this stuffed fox. But that at the time, I mean, this was 15 years ago, yeah. 10 years ago. At the time, that was quite a bit of money for a stuffed animal for a six-year-old, right? Right. She took that fox everywhere. I know, I know if you saw the fox, you'd be like, yeah, I know that fox really well. Because every time she, she, it was like her, like her security, yeah, her yeah. security item, right? Well, when we went to visit family, she would take Foxy and people would ask her, how much did you pay for that? Oh, really? And she would say $75 and they would all freak out. They would be like, I can't believe you spent $75 on that stuffed animal. I can't believe. And they would come to me and Brandon. I can't believe you let her spend $75 on yeah, that stuffed animal. Yeah, how irresponsible, right? Like, and this right? freaking fox, like, never left her side. Like, never left her side. She would put hats on it. It would come. I remember one time in an elevator, it got soda spilled on it, and she just, like, lost it. Because this thing was real to her. Like, it was just such a treasured yeah. thing. But I remember... Like having conversations with her, like Emma, don't listen to anything that they're saying. They don't understand. Like, just let it roll right off your back, honey. You spend your money on whatever you want to spend your money on. It's your money and you wanted Foxy. And 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 you're happy that you have Foxy. And she's like, I love Foxy. <laughs> I would have spent twice as much on on him. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the reaction by the people around so just us. So I'm clear, did she buy it or did you guys she buy it? She bought it with her Christmas she money. She bought it with her Christmas money. Yes. We didn't buy it for her. She and, and paid her family, own money. Your guys' family felt it was appropriate for them to actually make a comment to you about what... Oh, it, it was totally like a waste. Oh, how could you waste your money? I think I remember hearing the word waste, waste come yeah. up. You know, it's like when I bought my first pair of Jordans back when they were really hot in 86. <laughs> I bought them for $100. And I remember people in my family saying, wow, what a waste of money. You could have got three pairs of regular shoes for that. And I spent my own money on this. This is my money. But it taught me in that moment that, you know, I need to hold on to my money. I need to be more smart with my money. And I carry that... David, to this day, I still struggle with, I mean, I'm getting well, a lot better at spending I money mean, now. your mom used to put like... Oh yeah, the credit. pamphlets. I was sharing with Mike that she used to put, because she was in the banking industry and she saw people all the time that would come in flat ass broke and they had no money and because of the crippling debt they were in. And you know, you talked last week about debt a little bit and the power, that debt of being a tool. Well, for her, it was just the thing you have to avoid at all costs. And she told me, she used to lay on my, on my bed or keep them kind of stashed around my room, these out of hawk sort of pamphlets. It was called Out of Hawk. And it was all about the dangers and the perils of living in debt. So that, I didn't have debt until I married, he married um, into this debt. beautiful woman who's <laughs> on this podcast right now. Yeah. I married into debt. And I've since learned that debt is a powerful tool that can be used uh, for, for good. But for my mom, debt, she never floated a credit card. She never did any sort of that. It was all about, yeah. if you can't pay for it now, you're going to have to wait until you yeah. can. And- to be fair, this podcast is not about blaming our parents for oh, no, the no, messages no, no. they passed on, right? Like, like it is to me. <laughs> I'm perfectly fine with blaming those fuckers, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, my, you know, my mom and dad came from, from you know, lower middle class. My yeah, dad, my dad yeah. came from a farming background where everything was, you know, scraped together, hand me down. My grandma sewed their clothes. I mean, it was very, it was very hand to mouth. Like you you were resourceful, yes. right? And and my mom, pretty much the same. So they did, I mean, they did the bet, like kudos to them for doing what they, what they did yeah. do, yeah. right? You know, and, and most of the time these conversations, I think all the time these conversations are going on and they're completely unconscious of it. Right. Like they don't even know, they don't even normal. hear themselves. It's just, it's just, it's just part of their culture. It's part of their belief system, it's right? Normal, so, yeah. but when you, when you leave that and you step out and you enter into a new belief system, because that new belief system is going to build your business. Right. You see a huge contrast yes. between the beliefs that you were raised in as a child yes. and the beliefs that you now need to adapt as a business owner. Yep. And it shows up in really sneaky ways, right? You, you know that you need to hire someone, but 
you don't have the money right now to hire it, but you know hiring them is going to bring the money, but you don't have the money right now. And you were told not to spend unless you had the money. So you don't hire. So it keeps your business stuck. Yeah. Right. It's these constant value conflicts being a business owner that, that trip you up. You don't want to be stupid, right? You don't want to be a stupid person by hiring and then having to fire someone because you can't pay them. So you don't, you don't hire. Right. And the other one is, this one is always in the back of their mind. What happens when the other shoe drops? Right. I used to hear, I used to get it like, you better save your money because when, when it stops coming, you won't have any. And it's like, I understood the care in which that was communicated to me because that was their world, but they didn't understand how to make money. Right. Correct. Money was something that came and went based on whether or not you were fortunate enough for something like that to happen and it could be taken away at any time. But that was their experience. And that's one of the things that they tried to pass down. Yes. And it was very black or white, right? Oh, like very. bad things are debt, not considering that as a business owner, debt's pretty much required in some, you know, yes. at least for a short period of time. Debt's actually a good thing if you have a, a way to pay it, if you have a prepayment plan, if it's going towards something that's going to build your business. But in, in Brandon's, like there was no good side of, it was just all bad. Right. So it was very black or white because that, that was the experience they were in. They didn't know that there's, that there's a, a positive way yeah. to use yeah. debt, right? Yep. So That's it's just, sure. it's this, it's this interesting thing where, you know, <laughs> know thyself takes on a whole new it is new level. It is, but but it's more than just a habit because it's also it's also awareness or a lack of awareness around life and how the universe actually works. If you really believe uh, in the way that all of our parents did, that money was a very scarce thing, um, and that if you didn't save it, you wouldn't have it, and if you went into debt, that could spit out of control in a horrible way, and there was all kinds of shame and stuff wrapped around it. And you have no idea of the, what money really is, what the real value of it is, how to actually create it in your life at will, at whatever level that you want, then you only know the awareness. You build habits based on that awareness, on right. the lack of awareness. Right. And I think that's what all of our parents did. You know, they came generationally from that. I mean, my I'm I'm just basically second generation here in the United States. They all came over as broke ass immigrants. Um, from different countries and started at the bottom, you know, wherever the construction jobs, whatever labor work that they could do. And then over a couple of generations, it began to change a little bit, but it was make everything stretch everything as far as it could possibly go because, because we don't have it. And I remember when I, when I first started to learn and get out of my environment, I was shocked. I like, I was so stunned in the beliefs that other people had around money and wealth and just what they, how they would uplevel their lives to certain degrees. And it was kind of like, you couldn't, you can live this way, you know, but it's not just about breaking the habit. You have to understand more than just, because if you break the habit and you're going against that paradigm in your mind of like, what if something goes wrong? you really end up in a value conflict. It doesn't seem to make sense when you do that. So there's a whole lot more that you have to learn about this in order to be able to come through the other side where it's easier to adopt different habits and behaviors so that you can, you're not having, you know, to live hand to mouth like that in your, in your business. Or live in fear. I mean, there are so many business owners that have plenty of money in, in the bank they have a thriving business that's making money. They have capacity to sell more and they're working towards selling more. And they're constantly crippled by the anxiety that the other shoe's going to drop. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're waiting for that one bad thing to happen. Right? It, it's not. That's it's, an unconscious it, expectation. It's no way to live. No, it's not. It's not. And it's not that bad things won't happen, but to not understand that you have the ability to overcome when something goes wrong and to be able to do something about it without having this um, 
Like I'll give you for instance in this, my mother's favorite thing to say was what if something goes wrong? And we, my mom and I had very different personalities. I was very gregarious. I would, I was constantly out, constantly doing things, always wanted to explore this type of thing. And I was always being told no, because she had all of these unconscious fears that all these different things were going to go wrong. So as I got older and having the ability to challenge her on some of this stuff, she would say, what if something goes wrong? And I would say, well, like what? Tell, like, tell me what. What's the something? What's the something? And basically it was this, I'm not actually asking you a question, <laughs> right? I'm telling you, this is the reason why you can't. And, and I would really push back and be like, tell me what the something is. And she could never tell me what the something is. Never. Uh, because she was not open to hearing an answer that there was something beyond the fear that was keeping her completely locked in to that place. So it's um, it's more than than uneducated. It, it is it's really I think it's trauma based for a lot of people. Just regardless of anything ever happened or not. To constantly live in the fear that the, the other shoe is going to drop, right? Or that yeah. you're going to make a mistake or that your personal identity is challenged, like you're stupid if you do this, makes it very difficult for people to come out the other side of that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I had the the other shoe's going to drop too. That was a big, that was a big thing. Like be prepared. I mean, you know, I'm a control freak. So I like think about things upside and up right. up one side and down right. the other, right? Which is a superpower, but it also can be completely exhausting and unhealthy at the same right, time. Right, for sure. <laughs> at the same time, because there's only so much that you can control and only so much that you can forecast and foresee, right? That's right. Um, but let me ask you this. If if a client, and I think I know your, I know the answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway for our listeners. If a, if a client or someone came up to you and said, David, how do I overcome my lack mindset? What are you going to, what do what are you going to say to them? Well, the first thing is to get them focused on what they want. That's the very first thing. What do you really want? Because you have to have a reason to overcome it. You're not nobody. I've never seen anybody anyway, just overcome it because it's something to overcome. Right. You've got to have a reason to overcome it. Even Napoleon Hill talks about that and thinking grow rich. He's like, no person is going to get wealthy unless they have a white hot desire in order to create those riches. So the, I, so that, that, transfers through everything in a person's life. You first have to get clear on what do you want. Now, when I have this idea of what it is that I want, I have a reason to be able to start to do, you know, to actually do something different. But it's and that point at that point it's a learning process, right? What is who do you have to become in order to get what you want? And part of it is that you're going to have to let go of these beliefs that everything's going to go wrong or that you're wrong because it's multi-layered, right? It's I'm wrong as a person. Not just wrong, but now I'm stupid as a person, yes. which you mentioned earlier, oh my gosh. right? Um, the other thing is that they all know, every one of them knows that as they start to approach this line of getting what they want, there's going to be this pushback that we've all talked about from our families. Yeah. Right. But when when I used to do seminars with Proctor, he had a fun little thing that he would do. He would say, I want you all to pretend that you're going to go home. You're going to invite all your friends and family <laughs> over for dinner. Right. And then in the middle of the dinner, you're going to ding a glass and you're going to stand up and say, I have an announcement to make. I have decided that I'm going to become unbelievably wealthy. And you'd hear everybody in the audience crack up because they all know how that conversation would go if they actually did it. You know, very few people actually would have people go, that is freaking amazing. How can I help? It would be, you don't deserve that. Who do you think you are? You know, money doesn't grow on trees. Money's not going to make you happy. It's just repetition after repetition after repetition about the negative beliefs of what they want. So they have to know what they want. They have to be willing to become the person um, that can create that. They have to learn skills and change the habits in order to do it. They're not going to do it without some kind of an education behind it. And that's where we come in <laughs> because that's what we do. Well, I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you just the last story here to wrap this up that you probably don't have any recollection of, okay. but is burned in my memory, like burned in my memory. When I first started working with you, I mean, I had my business and it was, it was pretty successful. I sold it, whatever, you know, went to work for you, but I really wanted to be, my big goal was I wanted to experience personal freedom. Like I had always felt like I had, I didn't have 
freedom because of what I was doing, because of lack of money, because of family stories, whatever. Yeah. Everyone has their reasons for not feeling free, right? And so I thought, I'm going to watch everything he does. I'm, I'm going to learn and I'm going to help him build his business and I'm going to be successful, right? So we go out to dinner in Las Vegas. It was probably within the first year that I started working with you. We go out to dinner in Las Vegas, this really nice steak place. Brandon and I are there and we sit down and we're looking at the menu and the, the, the server comes over and I think... I want to say it was a sommelier, a sommelier, first, yeah, sommelier, first ever yeah. experience like that for me. And he asks if we want to order a bottle of wine. And Bran and I are immediately like, we don't say anything because you don't order bottles of wine. Like that's just <laughs> something you don't do because it's, you know, way over market price. And, you know, I'm, I got my stories in my mind, right? Uh -huh. Like there's no freaking way my parents would ever order a bottle of wine. You can go to the liquor store and you can get a bottle of wine for half the price. So why pay, <laughs> why pay restaurant wine, right? And you're looking at the list and you don't, here's the thing. You don't drink wine. Like you, no, you don't really. drink any wine because it, it makes you sick. Right. Yeah. And you order this bottle of red and it was four, it was $450. And there were, there were four of us at the dinner table. Right. And you weren't even drinking. Right. And Brandon leans back and he's like, I don't think I can drink. I don't think I can drink $450 wine. I don't think I'm going to have a glass. I don't think I'm going to have a glass. Yep. And I'm like, really 100%, 100%. I'm like, I'm in my mind, I'm thinking, holy shit, that's my car payment. Yes. Like I'm thinking $450 right? is my car payment. He just spent $450 on a glass of, on a bottle of wine for us. Not even for him, for us. And I was just like, it, it shattered a par paradigm for me because you didn't make a big deal of it. It was nothing. You knew that we had the ability to make whatever money we wanted to make. Yeah. That letting go makes it come back. You know, it's like- You can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. Like it was such a profound, like I'm getting emotional because no one had ever spent $450 on a bottle, of, on really anything for us. No way. Let alone a freaking bottle of wine that lasts an hour and a half. And like <laughs> talk about stories of it being a waste of money going through my mind, right? Like it was such a paradigm shift, but it was, a, it was, it was the first representation of this is what I wanted. It's a delicious bottle of wine. I'm going to order it. Enjoy it. Yeah. Like just enjoy it. And it, I'll just, I'll never forget that because, and I think about it. I don't know. I think about it. It's got to be every Every few months, because I'll say to Brandon, God, remember when David bought that four hundred fifty dollar bottle of wine? You know, <laughs> oh my God. And then we've had that experience where we've bought, you know, we've yeah, been out like to dinner years and years ago. Yeah, it was totally. fourteen years ago. It was. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy to think, you know, and and shout outs to Hank's fine steaks and martinis out there at the Green Valley Ranch because yes, I remember where exactly where I was that's where in that was. moment. Is that Hanks, where we were? It was at Hank's. Yeah, it, yes. was at, it was at Hank's in the Green Valley Ranch Casino out there, one of my favorites out there in Vegas. Um, yeah, shout out to them. But it was it blew my mind because when you put it into perspective, when we were first starting out, we weren't making a lot of money at the time, and we were still leveraging our own credit to yeah. get a, get to a point where we could be successful. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that to put into perspective was about a month's worth of groceries spent on a, the most delicious bottle of red I ever had mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and ever since then you know now we'll go out and we'll have cocktails or we'll go out and have a nice dinner and you know we'll spend car payments and all these other sorts of things but it, it isn't like it was back then because now we know that we're worth it and I think that's the the most important part and of you story. know that it's coming back yes. oh, yeah totally yeah you yes. gotta spend you it to know you, it. so it sets up a completely different expectation right right so you whenever you're like it's like when I tell that story, like if ever, if I'm ever, if I ever see like money slowing down, I'll go spend more money because it sets up the expectation that it's coming that it's back. It's coming in. Otherwise you just retract and you go into a negative energy of fear and then it slows down even more. And I've been doing that for almost 30 years now and it's never not worked. Yeah. So. I love it. Okay, before Steph walks us off, I want to do a little quick etymology lesson here to see if you guys know your stuff. Oh, we, God. I know, I'm putting you on the spot oh, here. God. We have said in this podcast no fewer than five times, waiting for the other shoe to drop. Does, do any of you know what that means and what that's in relation to, just oh out of gosh. curiosity? Uh, I don't. No. I didn't either. So What's the basically, so first and foremost, it basically means you're awaiting an inevitable event. 
Like it was inevitable that you got to save that money because you're going to have to use it for something important, right? Okay. It's a waste if you don't. So the term, and this this is from my friends over at uh, you know dictionary.com. It's basically <laughs> from the yeah from the uh, back in the New York City era in the late 19th century, early 20th. A lot of manufacturing going on, and the apartments and the tenements were built on top of one another. So basically, when your neighbor would get home, the one that lived above you would remove their shoes they would fall to the ground. So you would hear one shoe, it would create a disturbance. And then of course, you're now waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's inevitable there's gonna be two of them because we all have, well, most of us hopefully have two shoes. <laughs> so waiting for the other shoe to drop is basically around that apartment style housing in New York. So is shout out right? NYC for that great little uh, piece of information. Oh, Etymology wow. at its finest. Isn't That's that really cool. That's I love, interesting. I love the. I love going and list, looking at this. You know the origin of where these phrases come from because we idiom, use them right? so yeah. often. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. I love it. And and with this lack mindset, I always kind of lead us out with a couple of episodes that people can go back and listen to oh, because yeah. you know we've got tons on abundance, but there's specific ones that we deal with that are around lack mindset. And one of them is episode 294. It's titled, There is Only Abundance, where David speaks uh, a lot about the lack mindsets that we carry with us from our childhoods. And then last but not least, back to episode 25, probably one of my favorite titles we ever had for the podcast, way back in the early days of TSM, Coupons, Bargains, and Perpetual Poverty. Oh my God. That is a coupons. doozy. And I know we probably shouldn't talk coupons, David, in front of Steph. She gets very, very worried that people are going to start writing hate mail our way. Yeah. It's such a powerful Oh, answer. I know. I know. I hear about it every time I bring it up. <laughs> it's such a powerful It is answer. very confusing though. They're like, you see their brain scramble. Yes. The, you must start doing it. But I've got, so so let's change uh, waiting for the other true to just. Shoot, shoot a drop, drop to a positive one, waiting yes. for the other cork to pop. I like yes. that. Waiting that's for a the prosperity other cork one. To pop. Yes. And as long as that cork is in something that's over $450. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> We're not drinking two buck Chuck here. No dude. way. No way. No how. <laughs> Those that's days right. are long gone. <laughs> Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Successful Mind Podcast, where we discussed all the lack messages that were handed down to us generation after generation that then get in the way of business building. If you have a story that you'd like to share, we would love to hear it. Go ahead and comment below. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. If you like what you've heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff. before you leave I've got one question today's Halloween so I want to know if you have a favorite costume from when you were a child and a favorite costume from when you were an adult I don't know about you I don't do a lot of dressing up anymore I haven't dressed up in years I think the last time we dressed up we were Vikings as a family now what is your favorite costume as a kid and as an adult Steph do you have one I do fire up so my favorite costume when I was a kid was a goblin my parents found these really cool blow up goblin costumes, which were way ahead of their time, I think. And you wore like basically vinyl. I'm sure it probably wasn't very healthy, yeah. but you wore, you wore this vinyl costume on the outside and then you had this giant blow up head that you would tie around your chin and it would be like massive. And we were the only kids to have those costumes <laughs> and we would walk around and every single house we would go to would be like whoa that's the coolest costume i've ever seen so the goblin costume was my favorite as a child as an adult went to a halloween costume a halloween party when i was pregnant and the halloween party was themed that you had to come as a song title right so i went as a brick house <laughs> and i wore a giant box that awesome. that my belly would fit in right because i was very pregnant i wore a box i painted it like bricks on the outside and i went as a 
as a brick, a brick house. house. Yeah, yeah that was great. Yeah, that was, and that was when we were teachers and we had yeah. access to all sorts oh, of fun arts and crafts, arts and craftsy yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, For that's sure. great. How about you, David? How about your costumes? So, so there's two. So when I was when I was uh, a little kid in the '70s, Evil Knievel Ooh. was my favorite costume. I loved that costume. Like I would wear it every year. Uh, and then as a as a teenager and then into an adult, which I haven't been to a costume party for years either, uh, was a vampire Dracula. Like vampires were always in, right? So vampires were pretty cool. So I've done different versions of that over the years. You have a couple of really scary masks, though. Oh, my God. Or you almost gave Tia. You, you well, almost gave Tia our director yeah. of uh, events so, a complete so that, freaking So that's different. So the, the, the scary mask thing came from way back uh, when we lived in Illinois and I took on the responsibility of running the Haunted Hayride when my kids were little because they just loved that shit. The family that ran it moved and nobody wanted to do it. And I'm like, oh, I'll totally do this, right? So I had all these different scary masks that I would wear. We would dress up Joey as Chucky. All the kids would be something, you know? And we would do this out in the woods because it was a hayride. It was a hayride thing. That's where the scary mask thing came in. But if I was going to a costume party, right, mm-hmm. I would probably go as a vampire. Vampire. Yeah. Nice. That is so cool. Well, mine, you know, first of all, shout out to the vinyl costumes of this world. I don't know if they still make those anymore because they're highly flammable and they're probably can oh, get... They're, they're toxic. Yeah, they're so toxic. <laughs> but the smell of them was it, was, it was intoxicating in a good way. Like I can smell my Boba Fett costume with that plastic over the top of it. And because, and you smell, you just smell that and your breath is in that mm. and it's so hot and you'd put it up over your head as you were trick-or-treating. But, um, you know, in Montana, a lot of times you didn't get a chance to see the costume except at the parade they did at the school that day because we used to be able to wear costumes to school um, and you would do a parade but at night it would get so cold you'd just have to throw a jacket over it so you were basically Boba Fett with your your cheap ass jacket that you pulled out of the out of the pantry my as an adult going back to the same party that Steph was talking about about going as a song title I uh, borrowed one of Steph's maternity dresses and I went as a devil in a blue dress so I got some sassy Ah. little devil horns prettied myself up a little bit and I threw on this old blue dress that Steph It had. was not old. I mean, it, <laughs> it was, was a great blue dress. It and was. she got it for 50% Dude, off. Yeah. The question is, who wore yeah. it better? Who wore it better? I was looking hot Probably that you. night. Probably, Probably you. 100%. So, all right. I just had to share that with the people because it is Halloween. So, thank you so much for playing the game today. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. <laughs>